You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. Heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond. This is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. Live from London for the Bloomberg Technology Summit, I'm Caroline Hyde. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, we'll have full earnings coverage ahead. As Spotify reports results and Google and Microsoft, they're going to deliver after the bell. We've got you covered. Plus, we'll hear from Reddit co-founder Alexis Ohanian to talk his investments in AI and crypto. Are they living up to the hype? And with the Bloomberg Tech Summit underway in London, we'll hear from executives from Anthropic, Deliveroo, and so much more. So after the bell, we get the giants, Microsoft and Alphabet. There's going to be interest in the cloud division of those two names, right? There always is. But there will also be intense interest in artificial intelligence. I guess by this stage, we ask, how is that showing up in sales? All of the R&D and investment in large language or foundation models, are they actually making any money from it? Top of mind right now is what's top of the list, Spotify, on track for its biggest jump since January 31st of this year, trading near its highest level since July. Top line beat, bottom line beat, premium subscriber beat, monthly active users beat. Let's get straight to the details with Bloomberg's Ashley Carmen. And Ashley, I guess the question is, what is in the earnings playlist for Spotify? What were the top numbers? Yeah, so the big headline item is that Spotify turned a profit this in the third quarter at 32 million euro. And that definitely was a surprise for analysts who were expecting a pretty significant loss. And they'd say it's an inflection point. Can you tell us what really have been the drivers of growth here? Yeah, for sure. So over the past year, we've seen significant cost reductions, whether it be looking to lease real estate that they previously rented, significant backlogs, culling back on their podcast efforts, all of that. Plus, in July, they initiated their first price hikes on their standard plan in quite a while, um, which we're starting to see some of the revenue growth from that decision. Ashley, here on Bloomberg Technology, we've talked a lot about what they've been doing in the artificial intelligence context and in the podcast context. And it's interesting, right, because they kind of did not greenlight some projects. They made cost cuts, headcount reduction. But if you look at the earnings, that's showing up in a positive way. Totally. Yeah, they they are really positioning this year as their quote-unquote efficient year. They're really trying to find all these different efficiencies, whether it be through AI, but really, truly through this cost-cutting and trying to make sure they're delivering on the businesses that they're pursuing. 
Well, when we see total active users rising some 26%, more than half a billion, it's clear that we're seeing some, well, key year of efficiency starting to benefit in terms of growth too. Ashley Carmen, it's great to have some time with you. Thank you very much indeed, breaking down the Spotify numbers and indeed the rally that we saw in the shares. And Ed, look, that just sets us up for why there is so much optimism around some of these big tech names that are set to report after the bell. Microsoft Alphabet, of course, parent of Google, going to be coming a little bit later. Let's bring in Anna Agrana of Bloomberg Intelligence for what we can expect from Microsoft first. And are we expecting key revenue growth here as well? Yeah, you know, the number really to catch for is their cloud revenue. Um, I mean, it's a slight deceleration from last quarter, but guidance for next quarter, I think, is going to be really critical because uh, in the software world, Microsoft is the, you know, the biggest player in AI or anything generative AI right now. So I think that's really where our eyes are going to be, or ears are going to be, uh, you know, when they talk about guidance for next quarter. You know, the battleground that I love to track, Anurag, is the hyperscale cloud, right? And I think Azure top line growth uh, forecast for around 27%. I know we're so excited about artificial intelligence. We, we genuinely are. But, but ultimately, how much do you focus on the bread and butter business? See, right now, the bread and butter business is not going to accelerate the way the cloud should over the next 12 to 18 months. So that's why we're really trying, trying to figure out if enterprise customers are still in the cost-cutting mode or have they started to invest. Because that data point, I think, is the single most important thing for technology companies. Because unless that happens, you know, you're not going to see a recovery in a lot of these valuations that have gotten beaten up over the last you know, couple of, uh, I would say, quarters. What about spending at the moment, Anurag? How much are they willing to be investing in their own business? Because, boy, they've been investing in open AI. Yeah. See, the investment part, I, am, I personally am not concerned about whether, uh, you know, I think it's going to remain strong for all cloud providers, only because the backlog or the long-term orders are, are still there. People need to invest and, uh, you know, move away from on-premise infrastructure. So I'm not concerned about CapEx as much as some, you know, maybe investors are. Uh, but, you know, from my side, I think it's going to continue for, for, for many years to come. All right, I was being a bit sassy about cloud and artificial intelligence. Get it? Sassy software as a... Anyway, Anurag Rana of Bloomberg Intelligence, thank you very much. Let's get to Google's results. Oh, Arthur Caroline, love that. I, know, I knew you jokes. would. All right, hard pivot. Uh, Google's after the bell. Who else is here but Mandeep Seep of Bloomberg Intelligence? Mandeep, ads. It's going to be a story of how the ad business is done. You talked, we talked just there about the sort of bread and butter business for Microsoft. Is that what Bloomberg Intelligence looks for in Google's context as well? Yeah, and uh, to me, you know, the bogey for YouTube is quite low. Uh, when you think at, about search, you know, growing at 9% consensus expectations and YouTube at 10%, you have to wonder why is YouTube not growing faster when Meta is expected to grow 21%. And the real comparison here is YouTube Shorts versus Meta Reels. Meta Reels, we know, is a $10 billion run rate business. They have three exit over the last 12 months. I think investors want to know what's going on with YouTube Shorts and if it's going to drive that top-line growth. And on the cloud side, I mean, look, uh, Anurag mentioned about large language models. The good thing with Google Cloud is they don't have a legacy business where, you know, Google Cloud is going to cannibalize its legacy business. It's all incremental revenue from AI and large language models. And I I think if they give any details around the licensing of their large language models, uh, that would be quite interesting. Mandeep, there was a lot of hand-wringing, though, previous couple of quarters about, well, the competitive threat that generative AI certainly may be coming from Bing, finally. Has they managed to shake off any anxiety that search is going to be upended here? 
I mean, Caroline, this is, search is one business that has still the strongest mode and granted, you know, Gen, uh, ChatGPT got traffic, you know, the 100 million users, but when you look at the ad revenue, I don't think it's gonna uh, make a dent, at least for now. And over time, look, uh, Google has the advantage that they have over 4 billion monthly active users with search. And even if, you know, uh, the volume goes down because they are more large language models doing searches, they still have the Distribution and so to me, uh, search will continue to grow. You know, high single digit, and it's all about the other drivers, the YouTube and the cloud that's going to accelerate the growth through, uh, growth to double digits. Mandeep, there's part of this week which is the kind of timing and structure of it. So Alphabet kind of reports first and you have Meta snap down the road and, and, and Alphabet or Google kind of set the tone for social media companies that make money from ads. Do you expect it to play out that way, uh, that way this week as well? No, I, I think it's going to be tough for the smaller players simply because uh, companies are still prudent about their sales and marketing spend and they want to focus on the highest ROI. And we know the highest ROI is search and uh, Meta, Instagram, and you know the social media, large social media properties. I think Snap and Pinterest will have easier comps, so that's good. But in terms of acceleration, it's too early to say that we are headed for you know a big rebound in ad spending next year. Mandeep Singh, Bloomberg Intelligence, we thank you so much as we look ahead to those big earnings and a key discussion about AI. We've got more of that to come from one Alexis Ohanian, founder of VC firm 776, co-founder, of course, of Reddit. He's just sat down with our own Ed Ludlow. Listen to it in a minute. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.
Time now for Talking Tech. And first up, NVIDIA using processors from ARM Holdings to develop chips for personal computers. Sources say that NVIDIA plans to make CPUs, you know, we always associate it with GPUs, but they would run on Microsoft Windows and go on sale as soon as 2025. Now, AMD is also working with ARM-based processors, of course, that's a chip um, design company, to move, is really all putting pressure on the rival Intel, which makes similar technology for PCs. Also, talking about AI chips, the startup Rebellions is hoping to raise about $100 million from global investors. Based in South Korea, the startup is in talks over Series B financing that may value the company at more than half a billion. Rebellions is one of several players trying to capitalize off of the rapid appeal of artificial intelligence software. Plus, a group of bipartisan senators will host yet another crop of tech leaders and executives to discuss well how to regulate this AI. It will be the second in a series of forums led by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and indeed the VC billionaire Mark Andreessen is expected to attend. And the previous forum took place on September the 13th and included appearances from, well, Elon Musk, for example. Ed. Yeah, let's stick with the artificial intelligence conversation. Earlier today, I caught up with Alexis Ohanian, the founder of 776, of course, the co-founder of Reddit as well. We discussed his approach to investing in AI companies and how he's thought about the hype around AI this year. Have a listen. There's a lot of hype right now. Uh, I've been investing in the space for over a decade back when it was just narrow AI companies, you know, seeding companies like Athelis and Cruise. So this is really now a big breakthrough. Generalized AI is a giant buzzword, but there is some real special truth there. And we're looking for companies that are using this technology to enhance the user experience in outsized ways. It really is as simple as that. Uh, and we're seeing it across the portfolio from AI produced dubbing, like Deep Tune, to uh, sports media right. management companies like Scoreplates. It's not about just the buzzword, it's about how are you improving users' lives using this technology effortlessly. When I was looking through the portfolio, you know, the examples of Scoreplay and DeepTune, you, you kind of split it maybe into a tool, an AI tool, which we call generative AI, mm -hmm. and then an existing technology platform, which is kind of improved or added to using AI. You, you know, explain to us why Scoreplay and DeepTune fit those two kind of categories and why you'd invested in them. For sure. Well, you know, as the owner of two professional sports teams, I know how important right. media management is. And this process of actually capturing the clips, the photos of everything happening on the pitch or in the stands, and then, you know, getting those out to the athletes, to social media, to your media partners, that is a ton of work. And software should automatically be able to seamlessly make all that happen way more effectively. But now you layer in AI and you have something that now does it 10 times faster, whether it's identifying, you know, this is Sydney LaRue, this is her kicking a goal, this is the DoorDash uh, logo visible. And so all of that stuff can now be automated away. And so smaller teams can get far more done. And it's not reinventing a whole new technology. It's leveling up existing software that already has deep relationships with customers. And so there are going to be these types of companies that have strong moats and lock-in that are going to win. And, you know, there's going to be big winners in this space as well. ChatGPT is probably the most famous one, uh, which I'm not an investor in, though I really should have bugged Sam about that a lot earlier. Uh, you know, I use it to tell bedtime stories with my daughter. Uh, and so you're seeing this very generalized, you know, approach from an LLM like OpenAI that's going to solve a lot of problems for a lot of people, and then much more specific approaches that are solving, at least right now, strong business needs and, you know, offering it like any other subscription as a service business. Uh, just real quick, if mm -hmm. you do bug Sam Altman, I reported last week that there's 
a tender offer underway right and there's pretty big big blocks of shares on the secondaries market yes that you know value open ai 86 90 billion mm. more than 100 billion in some of the prospectus that i've seen mm. is that a way for you to get in or do you just you just stay away from open ai given its late growth stage i am such an early investor i want to be there at the point of inception all the way to maybe the series a that's that's when we like leading and writing that first check uh, at this stage i still think there is value but it's not you know it's above my pay grade i uh, <laughs> i enjoy i enjoy being super early and right um, but uh, you know it's still it, it's gonna continue to surprise us I think what these technologies are able to do and, and yes there is a ton of hype but I do think the sky is the limit and I've, I've known Sam since he did Y Combinator together back in 2005 and one thing he has never lacked is ambition and so if, if there's anyone who can turn this into you know what all the, the sort of hype is about it would be him so a big emphasis there on artificial intelligence. Alexis Ohanian, 776, founder, co-founder of Reddit. I have been in crypto for over a decade. I have invested through every single winter. None of them phase me. Um, they're all healthy uh, because they sort of clear out the tourists and the grifters um, in, in every sector, in every industry. And, and I think here we're seeing a response to, my guess, a, a sort of broader macro and global uncertainty. And what's wild is I know for, for some viewers it may seem a little surprising that people would find safety in a volatile cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. But the fact that it is truly uh, decentralized and, and the fact that it is backed by conviction, you know, to me, Bitcoin has never felt really all that different from gold. Ah, the age-old digital gold. Alexis Ohanian there at 776. Just talking a little bit more about his thesis around Web3, around crypto, around Bitcoin. And of course, it, it has just hit $35,000 for the first time this year. Of course, it's all kind of based on fresh demands. Some of them maybe for resilience in conflict. Others, well, because we think an ETF is going to be signed off sometime soon for spot Bitcoin. Let's talk about it all with Amy James, co-executive director of Web3 Working Group. You join us. And of course, a lot of your advocacy work is about making sure everyone has got the access, the information to be able to be playing a part in Web3. And the ETF exposure, the ability to invest, is that really what's behind this $35,000 pop? It could be, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Just wanted to say that before we get started. And it absolutely could be the speculation that that's happening. And um, it also could be the economic uncertainty, as the previous guest was talking about, that is driving people into Bitcoin because it is potentially a more stable asset over time. I personally think that the Bitcoin price action is the least interesting aspect of Bitcoin and it's the <laughs> technology underneath it that is far more important, more exciting and will have a much more profound impact on our daily lives. Yeah, Amy, this is why I'm so excited to have you on the program. You know, you can see it as Bitcoin as a currency and, and the underlying blockchain technology, what makes it secure. If Bitcoin has this kind of upward trajectory, $35,000 now, Sunny Singh was on the show last week talking about above 100,000 at some point next year. Does that help the technology become accepted and utilized in societies around the world? 
That's absolutely right. Every time we have a bull run, more and more people find out about the technology. It's the price action that is, you know, the kind of headline that gets people drawn in. But once they once they come into the space, they learn about the technology that really has the potential to reshape the foundation of the internet and return it to its original vision of being a free and fair marketplace for ideas. And so, you know, as they say, bear markets are for builders, and we have been in a bear market since the Terra Luna, Terra Luna collapse in May of last year. And during that time, a tremendous amount of building has happened. And now mm. I would say that the DPIN sector of the crypto space, which stands for Decentralized Physical Infrastructure Networks, is poised to be sort of the breakout hit of this next bull run, similar to NFTs and stable coins in previous runs. Oh boy, another acronym. So talk to us about DPIN and what decentralized physical infrastructure. It actually feels a lot more real, tangible. What exactly is it that you're building, Amy? That's right. So decentralized physical infrastructure networks, I like to call them the plumbing of the web. So just as we rely on water flowing from our tap, we rely on these networks that we, for the things that we do every day, the things that allow us to be on this video call together for you to broadcast your show to the world. Things like... Um, video transcoding with networks like LivePeer, things like file storage networks, and, uh, those would be protocols like Arweave and IPFS. Um, Filecoin is what most people would know that as. And then mm. also for things like GPU rentals, which I'm sure you know, GPUs have been a really constrained product because of supply issues. And so builders have had a hard time getting their hands on them to train their AI models. And marketplaces like a cash network are making those available on a rental sort of basis so that they can use them when they need them without having to outlay a tremendous amount of cash to purchase them and also really having to help overcome those, those supply issues. So these networks are going to return the web to its decentralized shape. What we've seen over the eras of Web 1, Web 2, and Web 3 is a, a change from a decentralized structure in the very beginning of the web in Web 1 when everybody ran it on their own computers, and then it became centralized as we've entered this yes. big tech era. And Web 3... Amy, really quick, just before we run out of time here, very quickly, just on what you said, is the United States a good place for this dream to become realized as a regulatory jurisdiction? Very quick. So our hope is that it will be. Right now, it is very precarious, and I think that the industry feels very nervous about what will happen. We have some great champions in the legislature who are helping to move that forward, and we wish them the best and hope that they are successful. Because if not, we do face the really serious danger of losing the tech industry here in the US. All right, Amy James of the Web3 Working Group here on Bloomberg Technology, thank you so much. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks. 
like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in London. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. I think you'd agree that this sort of calendar third quarter earnings season, artificial intelligence is what we're going to look for in terms of how is all of the news, all of the R&D actually showing up in the top line of these businesses? Invest in AI. Mm. What do you have to show for it? AI everything. And how many hundreds of times is it going to be cited in various earning releases? I know you'll be counting that one up, Ed. But, in fact, it has been front and centre at our own Bloomberg Technology Summit today, right here in London. And, in fact, we were hearing from Jared Kaplan, Anthropic co-founder and chief science officer, who weighed in on how Anthropic has made a set of commitments to hold itself accountable for a safer and more ethical AI. He spoke to Brad Stone. Have a listen. Something that we'd really like to see, and that's sort of part of, part of the reason why we're excited uh, to to have started Anthropic, is we think that there should be kind of a race to the top on safer AI, more ethical AI in preparation for the fact that we believe there will be more powerful systems on the horizon. So I think the goal is for there to be competition in the direction of uh, safer and more reliable systems. So um, as a, a, to sort of make that concrete, we recently made a set of commitments, a responsible scaling policy, responsible scaling commitments about um, basically standards that we'll hold ourselves to as we build more powerful systems. So the current systems we have now, like Claude 2, um, we have information security, we have constitutional AI, we think that that's sufficient, but we're imagining systems that are effectively able to operate autonomously, uh, a system that might be able to sort of install itself and run itself on new computers all on its own, or a system potentially that might be used by bad actors to, say, uh, build or operate cyber weapons, other kinds of other kinds of uh, other kinds of weapons. We all know that current AI systems are really helpful to software engineers for coding. But if you take that a step further, it, the more powerful equivalent systems could be used uh, used for hacking. So we're very concerned about those possibilities and uh, and even more speculative possibilities of, over the next few years. And so we made a set of commitments about the sort of information security and the level of safety and robustness to what's called red teaming, where people try to break these models to get them to violate their principles um, and, and do something bad. 
Jared Kaplan there, of Anthropic, co-founder, chief science officer, talking with Brad Stone. Let's talk, keep talking about artificial intelligence. And Synthesia is with us, the world's leading AI video creation platform for enterprises. It's making video production simple and intuitive without the need for cameras or studios. Very pleased to say that Victor Ripabelli is with us. He's the Synthesia CEO, part of the inaugural list of Bloomberg UK tech startups to watch as well. So, Victor, great. Congratulations. Wonderful to see you singled out as really one to be watching. And boy, is everyone watching AI. And boy, is the UK government watching AI. How much do you think this conversation around, well, the direction of travel, the guardrails has changed since you were first building this company? I think what we've seen, we've been building for almost seven years, and uh, AI has always been a topic for regulators, always been a topic for the tech industry, of course. This is, in many ways, not new technology. It's just had its moment where I think the world really woke up to the fact how powerful these technologies are going to be and how much they're going to be a part of everything in our lives. Um, the chat GPT moment, as we usually call it, which happened late last year, I think really just gave us a version of this technology that was incredibly accessible. Everyone with an internet connection and an email address could sign up and try to play around with these tools to see all the basic things they can do, but also discover some of the pitfalls of these technologies and some of the things we have to watch out for. Um, and, and the government right now is, is obviously very focused on how do we put the right guardrails, but at the same time uh, capture all the amazing opportunity. Synthesia, of course, has captured the attention of a lot of clients. I mean, what is it? You're in 47% of Fortune 100 companies already using it. And, I mean, hundreds, thousands, if not, deploying your videos. Why? What are they doing to use your tech in particular? How are they working with it? So the core thing is that we live in 2023 and people want to watch and listen to content. They don't want to read that much anymore. And for most people in their private lives, this is actually how they consume content. Like most people spend a lot of time on YouTube, TikTok, they listen to podcasts. Reading is on the decline, no matter if you like that or not. But in the corporate sector, it's really difficult to produce audio and video content, right? Like filming things with a camera, recording things with a microphone. If you compare the production process to writing a Word document or making a PowerPoint slide, for example, it's very, very different, right? What we offer is an alternative to traditional video production where you, just like you would make a PowerPoint presentation, you simply select your avatar, you type out the script, you make these very kind of simple videos. And for the enterprise, what this means is that now they can train their employees or their customers uh, way better than it could before. So the information retention of watching a video is around eight to ten times as high as we read something in text. That really is the utility that, that our customers get out of, uh, of using Synthesia. Victor, thank you for explaining how the technology works. One of the stories we've covered here on the show is in the context of the Israel-Hamas war and video content in circulation on social media platforms that purports to be one thing but in reality is not that thing. It is fake or false. In some cases, video game video, which is claimed to be video of what's happening on the ground. What is Synthesia doing to make sure that video content generated through the platform is not shared in, in such a way, that it is not used by bad actors um, to, to share false information? Yes, when we found the company, we did it on an ethical framework, which is around consent, control, and collaboration, or the three Cs, as we call them. Um, consent is around any avatar or voice that we reproduce the likeness of. It's done with full consent from whoever's voice or likeness that is. Second one around control is around content moderation. So we have very strict policies in place for what kind of content you're allowed to create and what kind of content you're not allowed to create. And we monitor that, both with automatic systems and also humans in the loop. Um, for example, if you're creating news-like content on current events, that's only 
only allowed if you're on an enterprise plan, which means that we know who you are, and um, we know that you you uh, you have a, a good reputation and and uh, and most likely a well-known media company. Um, so we have a lot of safeguards in place to make sure that uh, that the technology isn't misused. In the case of what you're talking about here, that's sort of a different technology to, than ours. Ours around uh, the AI avatars talking to the camera, presenting something, whereas what we're seeing here, right, is to some extent an involvement of some of the disinformation and misinformation tactics that's been deployed the last 10, 20 years, where you yeah. take a video of an explosion, for example, that actually happened five years ago, but you say it happened yesterday. Um, now we're getting to a point where computer graphics is getting good enough to actually fool people into thinking that something that might have been done in a gaming engine is actually happening in real life. Um, mm. I think the ultimate technological solution to this is around fingerprinting content that we generate, um, both with AI, but also things we capture with a camera. So we can build, begin to build a provenance chain of where content came from, who created it, and I'm watching the original on edited version of it. Um, it's a really hard technical problem, uh, but we're working on it with Adobe. Uh, Google is working on it as well. And I have a lot of uh, optimism that, um, that this technology will be a part of the media landscape within the next couple of years. Absolutely fascinating. We could talk to you for much longer. Sadly, we can't. But the Synthesia CEO there, Victor Ripabelli, UK-based startup, of course, Ed, we've been focusing a lot on those that are currently being built right here in the capital of the UK. Yep. Yeah, it's so important to have you there on the ground in London. Coming up, we will have more from the Bloomberg Technology Summit and hear from more of the startups on our Bloomberg Startups to Watch list. That's next. This is Bloomberg Technology. Earth's ecosystems are delicately balanced, but they're under threat from our actions. And so monitoring biodiversity will allow business leaders to opt for more sustainable practices. With so many data points, though, traditionally that's been easier said than done. So Naturemetrics is a global nature technology company. We make biodiversity measurable by analysing the tiny traces of DNA that all organisms leave behind in the environment. The process works by literally just taking water in a syringe and pushing it through a filter like this. Um, and it captures all of the DNA from the water. So the water comes out the other side and all of the DNA from the water gets stuck inside. And then this is sent to our labs for analysis. So it's something that you know, literally anybody anywhere in the world can do. Yes, I got some strange looks when I went to investors and said, I'm gonna revolutionize the scale of biodiversity monitoring. And they went, what? Well, who's going to pay for that? I mean, biodiversity is not important enough for anyone with, with money. But actually that was wrong because there was, an, there was a, a market already, particularly in companies that were doing environmental impact assessments. Don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. Especially if you're a scientist, you can often feel like it's got to be ready to publish or ready to write a PhD paper on, or you've tested it 15 times before you go out and start using it. And you have to take such a different approach in business. Let's stick with startups here in Europe. Well, actually, there's one that's been a key exit for the tech scene here in the UK. And we were discussing it at the Tech Summit just on today. Online food delivery company Deliveroo. In fact, the CEO was just telling me that it is fielding 10,000 job applications a week in the United Kingdom and is 100% committed to remaining in the country. I sat down with Will Shu, who's the Deliveroo CEO, earlier at the Bloomberg Technology Summit. Take a listen. We're still well above where we were pre-COVID. But I think what happened is as COVID unwound, we then also were hit with a 
extremely high inflation yeah. um, on the food side. So in some of our markets, you've had uh, food inflation 3x that of wage inflation. So the UK was in that position probably about nine months ago. Now some of that's subsided. And so if you look at that, for many people, what was, I think, a regular purchase sort of became discretionary. Yeah. Um, but for people who maybe are in London or in more affluent areas, it, it's persisted, right? And so what really we've seen is as inflation has slowed down for food, we're starting to see more and more recovery, which, which is good. And but it's tough when it's 3x that of wage inflation, right? You've also, though, seen improvements, as you say, you weren't standing still. You've made changes to the app. Yeah. Like what? How have you? Well, I'd say, I'd say you know the big one's grocery, right? It's it you know it's it's over 11 percent of our business now. Mm. We've built that over kind of three to four years from a standing start, so that's been really great. We've built some dark stores um, called Hop, yeah. which is a complement to our grocery business. Um, we've done a lot of different things, but I think the thing I'm probably most proud of in the last 12 months is just a series of really sort of, I'd call them incremental improvements to our service reliability. Um, so for example, a better new user address flow, hmm. or uh, for example, um, a better handover when the rider shows up to really minimize- Getting a code, for example. Yeah, like a code, right? Um, to minimize these sort of like errors that can happen. And the cumulative impact of those are very, very large, and the collective creativity it takes to actually do all of those things, to me, is as important as the shiny new thing like you know, grocery or, or rolling out pharmacy. Or the shiny new thing on everyone's lips right now, which is AI. Yep. I mean, how have you inherently been an AI company for ages? You just haven't been. It wasn't sexy, so you didn't so much talk about it. I I don't know if I can go that far, but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a question we get asked a lot about, and and we've we've been definitely utilizing Gen AI. So. In what way? I think a few different ways. Um, we have in our employee version of the app a recommendation engine, so mm -hmm. you can type, I want, you know, a healthy Mexican sort of, you know, meal or, or within this caloric range. You can type something. It doesn't always work, if I'm honest, but, but it gives iterating, you... What, what iterating, iterating. It, it is iterating, and it comes, comes back with what is, are increasingly better and better recommendations. So that's one thing we're doing on the consumer side. I think on the... Um, customer care side, we've done a lot of really cool things where Gen AI will summarize the last 10 interactions with a consumer and then tell the agent, hey, do we think this consumer's happy and what's a summary of how the last few interactions went without having to look all the stuff up yourself? I think something like that's been really, really powerful. Will Shu, Deliveroo CEO there. Meanwhile, look, you want to order a takeout? Well, you've got to pay for it. So let's talk about that space here in the UK right now, the fintech landscape. Britain is, well, a burgeoning one. Monzo is one of the largest digital banks in the UK, if not the, and it's founded eight years ago. Monzo wants to be one in one-stop shop, basically, the key app customers turn to in order to manage their entire financial lives. It's on Bloomberg's UK startups to watch, and we're now very pleased to welcome from the company the COO, Sajata Bhatia. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So we are all about financial inclusion, all about focusing on people, basically in the UK, realizing you don't need to be wealthy to invest, but also how easy it is. How much of a cultural shift is that? Um, I think it's 
Money causes a lot of anxiety. That is a commonality. You don't have to be wealthy or poor to feel anxious about your money. And certainly all the research we've shown shows that it is um, one of the biggest barriers people have to advancement, right? You can change the world through money, education, and healthcare. And so money is definitely the common thread. Certainly when we launched our most recent investments product, what we found was that 70% of people in the UK did not know where to turn to to find something easy and accessible to start investing. And 60% of people said that they didn't have enough money to get started investing, which is counterintuitive, right? Which is why actually our investment product that we launched in partnership with BlackRock allows you to invest with as little as a pound. Because how are you going to learn the muscles and learn the habits to be able to help you grow your money if you don't actually get access to it and have someone there by your side to help you learn? What has been the recipe, do you think, of Monzo's scale in the UK? It was a different way of marketing. It's a different way of organically growing. What has Monzo been able to offer other than, you know, you came from Amex, the CEO came from Visa and other age-old financial institutions. What was this fintech doing differently? Yeah, well, it's not just one thing. I think if it was, somebody would have replicated it by now. But we have quite a very different business model than most. So you're right, we have 8.4 million customers, uh, 300,000 small businesses and growing. And that growth momentum is accelerating. We're growing by almost 200,000 customers a month and mostly by word of mouth. So there's an incredibly strong customer advocacy there. We're known for our hot coral card. I think some of our uniqueness starts with just the fact that we build really delightful, intuitive products and we build them for and with our customers. So, you know, in the very early days, we invited customers literally into our offices and they were able to, like, tell us what they wanted and we built with them. Even now at eight and a half million customers and counting, we're still talking to them. We have more connection points across our business than almost any other company. A, a single product might have 500 points of feedback in it in just a single month. So we're hearing from them and we're acting on it really nimbly. But there's the products that we build. We also own our own tech stack. Um, and that's industry leading and we continue to invest in it. That means that we can be both resilient, which is important when you're dealing with people's money, but also be able to be nimble in terms of speed to market and create inventive things that nobody else has done before. And then finally, we're not sharing our margins with a lot of other suppliers so we can invest in customer value. So Jata, uh, you heard uh, the delivery CEO there talk about inflation. We're very conscious about the jobs market in the UK, interest rates, all these fun things. But you talked about being nimble. And I wondered if Monzo kind of thrives in this environment when the consumer has to make kind of really proactive decisions about their money, or if you're subject to the same challenges as sort of traditional banks. Oh, that's a great question. Actually, I think we're built for um, kind of all stages of finance, but we really come into our own right now. So if you think about it, we're able to give you, whether it's a simple savings challenge or helping you open a pot to be able to set goals. We launched an instant access product, savings product with no um, barriers to entry, no lockup periods. We had over 850,000 customers pour into that in the last six months and start to uh, be able to make their money work harder for them. We launched a home ownership solution to allow people to get visibility of their mortgage within our Monzo product and that allows them to think about we can help them give them nudges on what's the right loan to value ratio how do you might maybe get access to a better rate and what might you do in terms of paying it down over time our investments product you might say actually this is the wrong time to launch an investments product but we found is that like a quarter of people out there are actually saying this cost of living crisis is making them think about investing more than ever and so we want to help them proactively build that muscle Sajata, great to have some time with you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Sajata Bhatia, of course, the Monzo COO.
Meta was sued by California and a group of more than 30 states over claims that its social media platforms, Instagram and Facebook, exploit youths for profit and feed them harmful content. And Caro, this is a company that faces a lot of litigation at the moment. And indeed, so too do the parent company of YouTube, so too does TikTok, so too do a lot of these social media companies. And it's notable that Meta was showing the response there. They've reacted by saying that they share the ASG's commitment to providing teens with safe, positive experiences online. But they've already introduced more than 30 tools, they say, to support tools and their families. So it's notable that these attorneys general are being sort of pushed back by Meta. It would be interesting if they comment about it amid their earnings, which come out, what, on the 25th? Yeah, and we stick with that story in 24 hours' time. Meanwhile, that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Don't forget, check out the podcast Apple, Spotify, iHeart. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.